Good morning, winter's day. In deep December. I was actually hesitant to talk because we were so beautifully settled. But I want to guide us in a meditation this morning that connects a little bit to the talk last night. I was talking about uh, states of consciousness and that that's part of our uh, exploration in practice. So in relationship to that, Again, uh, if I talk about states of consciousness, it is a map. And it's not an ultimate map. It's just a way of looking at and, and working with states of consciousness, which we experience uh, all the time. And some that we don't experience all. So I'd like to guide us in a meditation that starts with uh, this physical body. And often the the body is spoken about as being, you know, the the coarse, uh, uh, gross body. In this particular map of exploration, it is not the bottom of the rung. And you must know that that's how I feel about it from our Qigong practice. But it is, in some ways, in terms of the dimensions of our being, the most exterior. Right? So we'll explore from the periphery towards the center of being in finer and finer uh, layers of uh, consciousness of of being. So this is an engaging practice that uh, is very simple to do. And we'll begin now. So just find your way as we always do in the in a comfortable position and and let's begin with some natural abdominal breathing. So that's that sense of settling down, feeling the whole system of the body, just to begin with. And I want to really invite you to soften your face and let the space of your eyes be clear, whether your eyes are open or closed. And for this particular practice, it might be easiest if you close your eyes for this adventure in inner vision.
our perception in the field of the body comes from the gateways of the senses. So let's just connect with that for a moment. Right now, connecting with sound through the gateways of the ears, of the senses. Listening to the sound of my voice. But also want to just invite you to listen to the subtle sounds, be aware of the subtle sounds in this space. And then perhaps to a certain degree, we're also tuning in to sounds outside of the hall. Yes, they may be very subtle. Good. This sensory perception of vibration that we call sound. Now let's bring that same kindness of attention to the visual sense. Now even though even though our eyes are closed, you can be aware of visual phenomena like shape or internal color, perhaps even uh, images that arise or present like memory. We're just taking a moment to be aware of this visual sense, even with eyes closed. All the phenomena here that arise as things that we may see. Very good. Let's take a moment to feel the body, the felt sense. So take a moment here on the inside to feel the uh, inner dimensions of our own physical being. The space of the bones, the space of the muscles and the fluid of the body. present to the boundaries of the skin from the inside. See if you can feel the whole shape of your body from the inside. Let's bring that kindness of mindfulness here in presence awareness. And then from the surface of the skin, perhaps feel the light presence of the air, maybe a little bit of movement. 
the temperature Things that we know from sensing, from feeling, in this physical way. As we hold that with kindness and ease, take a moment and come to the Gateways, the senses of smell and taste. Most likely, they will be neutral right now. But we can take a moment just to feel that space and the breath moving into through the nostrils. And present in the space of your tongue. Softening that space. These are the primary five senses. And we just hold them with kindness as gateways of perception. And from this field of awareness, we move into a slightly subtler internal awareness that includes the energy of the body, the life force, that which animates our action. Yes, we've called it the chi, also known in other cultures as prana, life force, bioelectrical energy. Just take a moment and connect with the subtlety of that. It's something that we likely take for granted most of the time. It's kind of like a gentle purr or a hum of a little finer frequency of vibration. Connected with that, of course, are the rivers of light, which are the pathways of the nervous system. Connected with the brain. In this domain of this subtler system is also the aspects of our what we call our mind and our emotions. So as Bonnie said the other day, we just use our mindfulness to frame this. In a way, we can be aware of what's happening in this space that we call our mind. 
right now is probably likely very calm, receptive, taking in the flow of energy and information in the process and the meditation that we are engaged in right now. in the domain of emotions, probably, likely, very calm, but only you know what's here. But we understand in the domain of emotions, the spectrum of presence, the spectrum of experience that is potential here. From radiant joy, love, connection, to anger, in the domain of what we call our minds, we have the cognitive Capacity for thinking, for organizing, for planning. All of these aspects that we call our mind. And from this dimension of the energetic and subtle, we go another interior step. And this is sometimes called the causal plane or the causal aspect, sometimes also referred to uh, as the karmic aspect of our being. So in your experience, you can use your mindfulness to frame a little bit of this as we explore it. These are the seeds of the patterns in our body that are both personal and transpersonal. They are personal because they have something to do directly with our experience. Our experience in life, the joys, the sorrows, the traumas, and the impression that makes on our being. The seeds that come and flower out of that at various times in our lives. They are also transpersonal because they may have to do with our family of origin, with our social and cultural aspects as well. Deep into the DNA of our ancestry, these seeds of response and action, of attitude, 
and potential are the causal seeds, the karmic seeds that arise from time to time. So understanding this and feeling this as part of the dimension of the consciousness of our being, all part of the same fabric of being, but at a finer level right now. So we've moved right now from the most exterior in the gateways of the senses and feeling in the energy into appreciation of causal potentialities. And now we're going to come into the deep witness. So present throughout our exploration in our mindfulness has been awareness itself, holding the space, as it were, for the perception of these dimensions of our being. We take the opportunity now to look back inward towards the source of the witness. So right now, look. And in a sense, this deep witness cannot be seen. And yet, the paradox is it's here right now. It is often who we call ourselves. Deep witness is the subject, the source, out of which the phenomena of our experience, the senses, the energy, the karmic material of our lives, it is like the movie screen upon which all of this is projected. And because we cannot objectify this deep witness, we can only be it. Let's take a moment just to be this deep witness, which we are always being anyway.
not to be confused with any words. This clear, deep heart presence is always here, is here now. Now, if we were to put words to the experience of being the witness, such words as timeless, vast, undying, unborn, always already here, before the Big Bang, if there wasn't before. This nature of our true self, our true being, our Buddha nature, clear and undying, sometimes referred to as the non-dual. Not to. Non-duality is not the opposite of duality. This clear, vast field of infinite love and intelligence is always here, right now. It doesn't require thought, does not require attaining. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough for it. This is the essence of who we are. So just past the generation of thought and considering trying to understand, trying to figure out is this deep, clear presence of radiant being. This is who you are. For just a moment now, in this embodied life, We rest in pure, radiant being.
Thank you very much. Wonderful to travel that territory with you. So we're going to take some time this morning. Um, Bonnie and Finney and I are going to um, host your your um, your practice questions, or perhaps if there's something um, from the talk last night or any of our talks that you want to uh, bring up, some. Uh, comment, question, or observation, we want to take this time with you now to, uh, to do that. Now, a little later this evening, we're going to have the opportunity to talk about, um, how did you put it, Finney, all the, uh, the terrain, all-terrain all terrain practice. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Uh, a little bit this evening, and how to how to continue your practice right now, uh, in relationship to the to the uh, practices that we've done here over the course of this time together. You know, uh, you can address uh, any one of us, or just put it forward generally if you have something you want to uh, share. Yes. And yeah, go ahead and pull your mask down so we can really clearly hear you. Yeah, thank you. My question's about metta. Um, and it's about that one thing that you said, Vinny, about it's not about trying to telepathically control somebody's life and make it better. Because I had sometimes the feeling of like a prayer in Christian, Christian like praying for somebody's well-being. But I, I'm so curious about the distinction between the idea of metta as something that might actually is for impacting someone else's life versus mm. just for cultivating our own heart. Mm. And I, I, I feel like I've heard teachers say a few things about that, but I just want to hear more. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's super confusing. <laughs> right? Because language is wonky. Right? It's, it's always limiting, right? And, you know, there's been lots of uh, studies on the power of prayer, right? And how does this work? So I'm not going to pretend to know. But I I can sit in the question with you and share with you how I think about it. My teacher's teacher, so Ajahn Chah, <coughs> he would talk a bit about like what is the value to the world of bringing a peaceful heart into this world, right? And how how might we measure that? Like how can we ever imagine the implications of bringing peace into this? wild, chaotic, amazing, sad, beautiful world. So I kind of hold it, I I see it through that lens. It's like I'm cultivating, right? So through the power of connection, 
right? So I'm thinking about my father, I'm thinking about my benefactors, I'm thinking about my son. So I'm using them to say, okay, I know this feeling. It doesn't always feel like I know the feeling in my heart when I'm uh, facing internally or externally. So I have to kind of figure out a way to remember that feeling, right? Or to cultivate that feeling and let it really blossom in my heart so I can taste it. So I might bring my son's eyes to my mind's eye and into my heart. And all of a sudden there is an unconditional love. And I'm like, okay, I know unconditional love. Now can I pervade that to myself? Can I pervade that to people that have been very difficult? Like I said, we all want unconditional love, but we have a head full of conditions. So we have room for that disparity. And we're trying to like, okay, I don't want to be so conditional, right? So I'm really trying to allow that, the cultivation, the taste of that feeling to permeate me so that I can be less conditional. What impact that has on the world, I think it's incalculable, right? Because that inspires me to move to the world in a way that remembers my belonging to all beings, right? That's another part of it. It's like I've always held myself separately and that's been incredibly painful. And then when I find my when I take my place back amongst all beings, that sense of belonging, and then that inspires me to be in service to the world instead of myself, right? Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if my son feels it. You know what I mean? Like, I know he feels it in my presence, but I don't know. I can't call him and say, hey, at three o'clock, did you feel it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if the satellites are communicating that to him. But I I sit in the question that I don't know. I'm not so certain that he doesn't feel it, you know? So... I just, the reason I said I'm not trying to psychically send a love telegram, right? Because I think that misses part of the point. Yeah, so I don't want to, yeah. uh, I don't think that's impossible, but I want to make sure I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah? Anything to add? If you have anything that feels... uh... Well, I would say that in my experience, the Brahma-viharas are really for this cultivation of this, of the, you know, 52 mental factors, you know, from a Buddhist psychology perspective, to really fine-tune and strengthen the wholesome uh, mental factors. So that's what arises 
when we walk in the world. And, you know, when we have strong Brahma Viharas, um, our response to life is help, is helping people and loving people and wanting to do the best for them. Uh, and, you know, that's the impact that it has on others. But it really is a practice for our own, you know, reduction of egoic clinging and to um, strengthen our own uh, well-being, really. I'll start with that. <laughs> um, kindness and compassion in the way that, that I feel like you're addressing here. Um, compassion doesn't always show up as, um, as niceness, right? And that, that's kind of like the, the, you know, wanting to be liked. It's like in the Enneagram, the nines, those of you that uh, know about that, and it's just a, that that's just another map. But the uh, the way of connecting with genuine with genuine kindness um, is staying in some ways staying true to what's what is actually arising for us, and that might be in contradiction to. Uh, to what's being what's being asked or called forward um, in any particular moment, you know we have um, what's it called when uh, you know civil disobedience can be kind of an act of of kindness, but it's going against the stream of the of uh, what and people would think you know you're not being hey, you're not being a very nice guy because you're going against what I believe. So that would be an important distinction uh, that I would see between the genuine kindness and and a compassionate action Um, and uh, and that wanting to be liked or that niceness. There's actually even a story in uh, the ancient stories about the Buddha before he was enlightened uh, in, in the life that he was, about him as a, as a riverboat captain. And um, on that, on that uh, boat was someone who was trying to uh, sink the boat. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe improvising a little bit on this right now, but uh, the, the story is essentially the same. <laughs> maybe these Buddhist scholars can help me out here. The, but the, but um, when the Buddha, as the captain, found that out, there was a struggle with him and the person who was trying to essentially kill all the several hundred people on this boat. And he struggled and killed the person who was um, trying to do this this deed. Now, was that um, w- is it terrible that that happened? Is was he wrong to kill someone, 
or was it an act of compassion in uh, intervening with ill intention that would have had a negative impact on all these other people? So in the same way we, keep, we, we work and develop uh, the best we can, the integrity of being, and that is the essential core of kindness and compassion. I'm kind of weaving kindness and compassionate action here a little bit, so um, maybe I'll hear from Vinny or, or Bonnie on that one. Yeah, people-pleasing, yeah, that to me is a whole different category. And uh, that's something for our own um, egoic advancement in some area of our life. I mean, I was really, it was interesting, this even last short sit, me telling myself over this way and that way who I am, it was like, okay, you know, it's, it's, I could see the egoic clinging to this identity and that identity. And, you know, if we don't see clearly how we do that, you know, that would probably lead to more people-pleasing. But, um, you know, we have to do that sometimes, I mean, to even just make it in the system. I mean, we live in a pretty uh, concrete system that's informed, in my view, largely by greed, hatred, and delusion. But, you know, we have to make a living and pay our rent and, you know, eat and things like that. So we have to maintain some involvement in it and uh, probably... And try not to let those, um, you know, um, incentives infiltrate us and make, you know, make our lives driven by greed, hatred, and delusion, too. Yes, please. Yes. Thank you all. Um, I'll try to articulate the question succinctly. Practice is asking, we come to the practice and we're pushed or pulled by some form of suffering for some reason. Um, And we want to not suffer, or maybe we want to get rid of it, or there's ill will or aversion to suffering. And then the practice is asking us to cultivate that which is wholesome and skillful and uh, to alleviate that suffering or to, to act in ways that don't make your suffering worse. So there might be a wanting to act and behave skillfully and wholesomely and engage in the practice in that way. So I see that there's aversion to suffering that brings us to the practice and then um, maybe wanting or grasping or moving towards that which is skillful. So how do we engage in the practice to release what is unwholesome, move towards that which is wholesome without ill will or without greed? <laughs> let's see. Let's extend the retreat for another... <laughs> I really do very much appreciate Vinny, you want to... Wow, look at the time. <laughs> 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 
you were talking about Chandra, the, the wholesome desire. The wholesome oh, Chanda, desire. yeah, Chanda. Chanda is a wholesome desire, and that's the desire to be free from suffering. And, you know, it's true, that's the first noble truth, is that, you know, this conditioned existence is full of suffering. You know, some incredibly intense suffering, and, you know, a little bit of suffering, and the spectrum of that in our lives. And, um, I mean, I think that's what's the beauty of the practice. And, you know, according to, uh, to this, um, you know, spirituality, the way for us to reduce our suffering is to reduce those negative, um, you know, mental factors in order for us to have much better karma walking in the world. It's all, you know, conditionality about what arises next is a karmic principle. So, you know, if we do something very bad in this moment, you know, the impact of that is going to be suffering for us. So uh, we're just trying to purify that. And, you know, let go of this sense of a separate self, because, you know, that is probably some kind of genetic um, idea that we all have just to maintain ourselves as animals on the planet. Because the truth is, you know, we're not separate. And um, coming to understand that, our well-being, when we get to that point where we can see that, our well-being is as important as the well-being of the person next to us because we're not separate, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. What about, what do you guys think? I mean, I love that. I I think... (laughs) If we're really honest, we all just want a pain-free life, right? Like, I want a pain-free life, and I'm willing to sit in the fires of boredom to try to get there. (laughs) Right? You know, I'm willing to suffer a little bit so I don't have to suffer a lot, right? And so we're trying to make peace with this world that is just not going to be pain-free. So I'm just trying to figure out how to not make it worse, Right? Because there's just so much that's difficult about being alive, about being born, about being sick, about being separated from what we love. You know, this fact that I'm going to be separated from everything I love, that I hold dear, and I'm going to be joined with that which I don't love, is difficult. So it's like, okay, we don't have to be children about this. We can be mature as a Tisha was talking about this maturity that comes when we say, wow, it's hard to be alive sometimes. How do I not make this harder than it needs to be? And I see that my biological reactions have made it harder. So it's like, okay, what realm do I have influence in? I have some influence over my reactions. You know, how taking these reactions and trying to turn them into responses. And I see so much of my suffering has come from distorted perception. So am I seeing clearly? So this is the realm in which we have some influence. And so that's where we put the majority of our attention. It doesn't mean we're not in the world trying to make it a better place, right? Hopefully, when we connect with our deeper values, it inspires us to be in the world in a more um, active way, in a more engaged way, and that 
because I think we all have something to offer. Mm-hmm. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, insightful question. I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you for bringing that into the space because it's awesome. Yes, and we'll get you. Okay. I was here two years ago when we did the this meditation, the Metta and Qigong, and there were some beautiful things that were taught then, which made a huge shift with me. One was, um, Vinny, when you taught um, the concept of I love to love, um, and that, that was very universe shifting for me. So looking at the last two years and then listening to these beautiful teachings of this retreat, um, and I, I've been deeply touched by all of it in the practice of Vedna and really exploring that <laughs> and kindness as a profound teaching. And it brings me face to face with um, something I've witnessed over the last two years, which is the importance of equanimity, (laughs) the importance of equanimity in um, remembering, staying in integrity in my knowingness that I love to love, and still having uh, interaction with (laughs) non-believers that I love to love, (laughs) and non-believers that they love to love. so you had, at the very first night, you referred to some equanimity phrases that have been important for you, and that sparked something in me. And I'm not writing things down, but I would oh. love it if you would state them again. <laughs> and would you please write them down and post them on the board? Because yeah. I have a feeling I'm going to have to carry them with me out of this retreat. Yeah. Can I say something real quick? First, sadhu, 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 which means that's wisdom. <laughs> Uh, there is some equanimity. There's the four Brahmi Vihar phrases on the board on the way up to the walking room. So there are some equanimity phrases there, just to let you know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the ones that I are common to my life are right now, it's like this. Hmm. As much as I wish things to be otherwise, things are as they are. Right? So, and then the one that I use most often is, may my heart be at peace with how it is for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This might not be a super profound question, but. Sure. This feels great. And I'm finding myself just wanting that feeling. Um, and I'm wondering how to orient toward that tactically, right, in the practice itself. Um, so I don't get trapped in that. 
Well, I'd like to say that there's this uh, YouTube video called This Joy. <laughs> It's about how um, our joy and our well-being really can't be, um, can't be um, determined by things happening outside of us because, you know, look at the craziness going on in the world, right? And so you're experiencing well-being from your own practice, and you have a lot more control over that than, you know, ex expecting your well-being to be determined by, you know, who's president or things like that. I mean, not that we don't, you know, have love and want to make sure that people have everything they need and do work for that. But I think what you're experiencing is the well-being from your own practice. And that's a huge thing, you know. Just remember that, that this well-being is available to you regardless of what's happening externally. And, um, you know, just continue to do the practice and feel it, feel the happiness and the calm. And actually, you know, you might want to look a little bit into the seven factors of awakening because that's considered one of the highest manifestations of this practice. And, it, you know, you can... Um, actually, the directions are, if you're, you know, this far into a re retreat, you're going to have some of those in your mental frame. And if you look for them, you can see them and actually make them stronger in this moment. So um, that would be something to do. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I had one thing to it. <clears throat> the great Zen master and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh, he said... If you don't know you're happy, you're not happy. <laughs> I was just like, oh, that made me so mad. I was like, man, how many moments did I miss? That I might have been happy, but I wasn't in the habit of asking. I wasn't in the habit of checking. Is there happiness here? You know? So that's a practice of mine. A couple times a day, you know, I kind of, in my more cornered moments, I'll kind of check in with that fundamental okayness. And then in my more kind of freer moments, can I check in to see if I'm happy? Now, when I first heard it, I was just like, man, that sounds like some it sounds like a very privileged place to come from. Like, oh, you, you know, if you don't know you're happy, you're not happy. It's like, and then when I consider who said it, what was it born from? This, the conditions that he arose out of to come to that insight are unbelievable that he could come to that and see that, wow, this is a very nourishing feeling and I should, I should really taste it as deeply as I can because it is fleeting, right? So sometimes when I'm feeling it, I just want it to last, you know? I wanna, I wanna get a cement truck and just like just keep everything the exact way it is, right? Yeah, so 
but really allowing it to nourish every cell in my being. Um, this is what happiness feels like. Can I know it? Can I keep checking in and seeing if it's present? And you might find that it's present a lot more than you would ever have imagined because the mind, you know, it has a way of uh, being preoccupied with all the worries and concerns born out of the same deep care, but just no way to figure it out. So keep resting in the body and seeing, hmm, where do I experience happiness? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very deep question. <laughs> Gets high points on the profound index. Yes. <laughs> well, I know there may be some other questions, but we're at the completion of this period, and we'll have uh, more an, op- uh, an opportunity this evening uh, to to engage in this kind of dialogue, which I find is very, very. Uh, wonderful and quite useful. Right now, we'll uh, come into the next part where we've got our uh, groups. If um, by chance you haven't uh, you, you haven't done uh, been a part of a group and your name is not on that list, then just show up someplace. <laughs> show up in Vinny's group or in Bonnie's group or mine, and uh, and uh, just come. Today, the schedule will be a little bit different, and uh, you can you know, notice that on the board. There's a specific uh, schedule for today, and including a little later this afternoon. We'll do our, our, our Qigong and meditation this afternoon as we have through the, through the week. Um, and then you can also note the schedule for tomorrow, but uh, we'll stay in today for now. Uh, just one m- small point here. Uh, you may see from time to time different people doing gestures like bowing, and we may bow, and other people like don't bow, and it's all fine. We have no formal aspect. We bow um, because that's maybe part of something that we want to do. It's a wonderful way of uh, showing respect, but it's not showing disrespect by not bowing. So, so just want you to know if you, see, if you see stuff, it doesn't mean like you need to do that behavior, right? <laughs> Anything more on that? Um, no, I think that's beautiful. All right. Uh, Maybe one more thing, though. One more thing. I bow because I know how hard it is to sit. <laughs> I know how hard it is to sit, stay, and heal, as they say, right? <laughs> so I'm bowing, like, because I know what it's like on those zafus. Um, I'm bowing for many reasons, but that's, that's in the forefront of my mind now. But the other thing I want to just mention is that on the, as we get toward the finish line, whatever that means, we might notice energy beginning to lean out, right? That we really want to figure out a way to bring this there to that other world. And, and so 
it's really okay that those thoughts arise and do your best to try to stay in the retreat. The mind, I know, has a way of leaning out. Totally normal and do your best to stay. So the uh, energy begins to perk up a bit right? as we start thinking about packing and leaving and returning and all that stuff. So walking practice might have a little bit more energy in it, right? You might find a different pace to try to um, acclimate a bit to the normal pace that we move through the world. So we're balancing Right? The mind that's already leaning out and planning. And then this uh, very slow, deliberate. So just making room for both of those truths while trying to do your best to, to stay on retreat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> 